Wow, you are in for a treat today. I talked to Shana Gaunt and we talk all about social skills from assessment. How do we assess social skills? We talk about what does a social skills group look like? And she talks about a framework for how she collaborates with a speech therapist and how she plans social skills groups. It is such great information and resources that are really, really applicable and will help you out if you're working with students who are working on conversation skills. We also talk about how do we set goals for social skills? It can be really abstract. And then how do we take data? I know I've been in meetings before where I'm setting goals and I'm thinking to myself, how will I capture data on this goal? If these are questions you've asked for yourself, you're going to want to tune in. Let's cue that music and let's get started. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Thanks for joining us on Episode 9 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. My name is Rose Griffin, and I'm here to help you learn strategies you can use in your therapy sessions tomorrow to help your students. Today, we have Shana Gaunt with us. Thanks for joining us, Shana. It's so nice to have you on. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And I've collaborated with Shana, and she has a wealth of information in the field. So can you tell us a little bit about you and your journey into working with students with autism? Sure, absolutely. So Rose, I started this way back in 1997. I was asked to be an ABA therapist with a girl with autism. And I said, what's ABA? Does that, huh? What is that? And my journey started from there. My mom thought I used to babysit kids with autism. I did. She did, I don't think she knew anything else about that. Um, worked my way up. I became a BCABA back in 2002-ish and then became a BCBA in 2005. So I've been in this field for a long, long time. And I run a center-based program now, as well as I collaborate with Shira Carpell. And we do a how-to ABA. It's an online website. You know, we found that, you know, being a BCBA in the field can be lonely and overwhelming, but not a lot of people want to share their resources. So Shira and I put together How to ABA to disseminate information to RBTs, BCBAs, parents, some SLPs. And we really have just shared our best resources and years of practice in the field with everybody. We write blogs, we share program information, we have short videos on how to run programs, etc. So that's what How to ABA does. And you and I are now collaborating on another thing together, which I think is super exciting. Yes, I'm very excited. I, you know, I'm really into doing webinars and live talks. I'm sure that most of you have probably tuned into something. And I've worked with Shane. I have another company called Supervision Academy, and I provide supervision for people who are seeking their BCBA certification. I've always had this dream of doing a live PD event. I think you're going to see a lot more of this coming from um, ABA speech and also the BCBA of me. And so, we are actually Supervision Academy, my other company that I have with the co-founder, Rachel Torrance, and ABA and How to ABA are putting together a live PD event. And we're super, super excited. It's called ABA Forum. And we're talking about collaborating and disseminating. And it's coming up soon. So if you're listening to this in real time, when this comes out, it's going to be a three-night action-packed live PD event. And we have talks from Supervision Academy. And we have talks from How to ABA. We also have talks from Sasha Long, the 
Autism Helper, who's an amazing thought leader in the field, as well as Megan Miller, Liz Willis, who is a, a friend of mine and also a fellow SLP BCBA. It's going to be really great. And we really just want to share practical and easy to apply strategies. I know in this time, we're feeling kind of isolated. At least I'm feeling isolated, you know, in our practice. And so it's going to be really nice to get together a time for networking. There's going to be giveaways. Uh, best of all, what's amazing about this is it's absolutely free to attend. CEUs, both companies are ACE providers. So CEUs are going to be available per for purchase. But if you just kind of want to listen in to some of the talks, that's going to be really exciting too. There will be digital swag. And I think that networking piece is going to be really nice because I don't know how you're feeling, but I know that I'm feeling kind of like I'm working in a little bubble sometimes, you know, with COVID. Even when I go into work, I'm going into my office, I'm shutting my door because I feel like that's the safest thing for me to do right now with the pandemic. So anything else you want to add to that? We've been talking together and meeting for a long time, getting ready for all this, but I'm excited about it. Super excited. And it's coming up quickly. It's March 2nd, 3rd, and 4th from 7 till 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The website is theabaforum.com. There's a whole bunch of details on there. Go check it out. And you can register, sign up to register at theabaforum.com. Awesome. Yes, very cool. And what I'm so excited about today is we're going to be talking about social skills. So, I, you know, I said when I started the podcast, I wanted to call it Autism Outreach because outreach really to me means collaboration. And if you know my message, I really believe in collaborating with a lot of different people that are on the team and helping in the individual that we're working on. And so I think that, let me think about this. No, there was one other BCBA who was on before you, but you're the second BCBA that I'm interviewing. So I'm super excited about that. And today we're going to be talking about social skills. So teaching conversation skills to students. And why don't we just start with, you know, let's talk about what are social skills. So when you teach social skills, how do you define it? What do you mean when you say social skills? Social skills are so different and they mean so many different things to different people. And it really depends on the learner. It depends on what the parents want. It depends on goals, etc. Um, so, I mean, lots of different ideas, right? Social skills could really just be interacting with the community. So, you know, teaching my learner to go to McDonald's, well, maybe not McDonald's, no, I'm just kidding, um, but go to a fast food place and order something from the counter. Can they do that? I mean, that's social skills, being polite to the cashier, waiting your turn, appropriate behavior, etc. Other social skills would be more appropriate behavior around peers. Right. So, you know, working on something like whole body listening, like uh, Michelle Garcia Winner says, uh, staying quiet while other people talk, standing in line, waiting, following, imitating, could be classroom behavior interaction with peers. More specifically, though, I think you and I wanted to talk today about more conversational exchanges, right? So kiddos who have language skills, and they might be talking or they might be commenting a little bit, but really working on, you know, in that interaction, not just being as part of a community and acting appropriately, but really conversing with somebody else and really meaningful conversation. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about that a lot because I tend to work with students who are a little bit older, middle school, high school. And one of the lessons we just talked about, which was actually from Michelle Garcia Winner's work, is the social fake where you pretend that you're excited about something. Because I think that, and I was telling my student that was working on that, you know, as adults, we do that all the time, is that we pretend that we want to talk about something, even if my husband 
husband like brings up something that I don't care about. And he does the same for me. I mean, you know, I now I'm in like a business mastermind, but you know, I do talk about my work some, you know, you pretend that you're excited, you ask questions, you make comments. And I always tell my students that, you know, you may not be interested in what the other person is saying, but I always frame it with the thought that someday you're going to have competitive employment. And what we often see is that that social piece is very, very important. So while I try to talk, you know, let's talk about small talk. Small talk might be the weather and things that are very light. You know, we're not going to talk about politics and religion and all those different things. But even if it's not maybe the most motivating, most enjoyable activity for students, I always try to frame it with the fact that this is something that's important for you to learn as a lifelong learner, right? They may not really enjoy what they're talking about, but it might be a skill that's going to set them up for success across different environments. And do you share that type of information with your students too about how it might be important for them as lifelong learners? I think it really depends on the type of student I'm working with. There are certain students who aren't going to have that comprehension, right. uh, but I definitely share that information with parents. Um, if the students are able to comprehend that, absolutely. What I don't share with them, but I always have in the back of my mind is, you know, us as adults, you know, we don't look at somebody from across the sidewalk or across the bar or across the interview table and say, oh, wow, can you believe that kid learned how to read and write when he was three? And look, at he can recite all of the states and all the capitals in those states. We don't say that. We say, wow, look, that person is really put together. Wow. You know, we comment on their hygiene skills. We may comment mm -hmm. on, you know, the niceness of them, their communication skills, et cetera. And that's right. why social skills are so super important. Yes, they are. Definitely for the workplace and those kind of soft skills that we talk about. So that social skills is super, super broad. And I think today what we're going to kind of focus on are, are groups that might be interactive where you promote conversational exchanges, which is really, really great because we've never even talked about that. But social groups and speech therapy groups, that's kind of my jam. Like I love providing therapy. I still provide therapy three days a week. And I really love planning for group time. I love to try to, you know, get the students engaged in cooperative learning and things like that. So do you currently have have any groups that focus on teaching conversation skills? Yeah, we absolutely do. We have a group called the boys group, so super creative, and a junior boys group. We also have something called the Science Club. We have a couple little kitschy names for things. But yeah, we do. And we focus a lot on conversation skills. You know, a year ago, we had a ton of groups in person. I think we have one group running now in person and we have a lot on online. So we're doing a lot of virtual groups still. You know, our groups used to be two hours in length. Now they're 45 minutes virtually. Kids can't seem to handle right. longer than that. But those are our groups. Okay. Okay. That's great. So do those students that are in those groups need any prerequisite skills for the group? Or Shana, so Shana, tell us, because I don't think you mentioned that in your bio, you, do you own a clinic or your, tell us a little bit more about that. Cause I actually, I don't know the very specifics of your, you know, I don't know that. So share with sure. us. Yeah, absolutely. So I do some private ABA consulting and I also own a clinic. We have three locations across Toronto called Kid Mechanics. Um, and I do that. I call that my day job and how to ABA is my other job. But yeah, so I run a clinic and at that clinic, we do some one-to-one -one ABA. We do a lot of social skills and we do parent coaching as well. Oh, that's wonderful. Awesome. So when you're putting these groups together, because I know that I'm, I'm one of my best friends owns a, a very um, multidisciplinary clinic that's very large in my area. And so I know that when we were doing social skills groups, we wanted to make sure that the students were paired appropriately. So are there prerequisite skills or kind of what is your intake process look like for that to make sure that you're kind of grouping the students in groups that would make sense for them to work on different skills? 
For sure. So we typically pair kids according to age and ability. But let me take a step back for a second because, you know, behind the scenes, there's a lot happening. It's not just that we have, you know, parents calling us and saying, oh, we want to put our kids in group. It's, you know, we collaborate a lot with outside professionals. So I'm super happy right now that you're having me on a speech podcast. I love SLPs. I love them for the creativity, their ideas. I think they just bring a different aspect into everything. And I know that, um, you know, sometimes BCBAs don't always collaborate with other people. I love it. I love it because it it gives me an outside perspective. And as long as we're taking data on what we do, we're doing our due diligence, period. So kind of going back to what you were asking before about prerequisite skills, usually I'm working with an SLP and he or she says, hey, listen, I've got this student and they're, you know, their profile is a bit like this. Do you have a group for them? Or, hey, their profile is a bit like this. Have, what about this, etc." So we go back and forth that way. But in terms of prerequisite skills for the groups, again, depending on the group and depending on the quote unquote, social skill I'm teaching, you know, obviously staying on task is huge, right? Kids do need to have that first then contingency, meaning, you know, they need to be able to sit and attend for about five minutes or so and like, okay, first you do this, then, you know, you can have this or then we'll go into a preferred activity, you know, for a conversational group, you know, they do have to have some verbal ability, usually talking in phrases, small sentences, you know, I have some other groups I teach that accommodate students with, you know, augmentative communication devices, Mm -hmm. but not a con not not this conversation group that I'm thinking of right now, most of the kids in my classes, um, in the conversation classes, will be able to follow multi-step instructions from an adult. They'll be able to transition appropriately between activities. You know, really, we're working with like a three to one ratio. So three students to one teacher. So, you know, kids do need to have a certain level of independence before they come into these groups. Yeah. And I think that's great because then you you have students. So then you're able to kind of work on those different dynamics, especially if you're working with these students through teletherapy and distance, you know, learning, there definitely is a learning curve. I know I have some students that I see for teletherapy who are just ready to, you know, get on the computer and they're able to pop on by themselves. And then I have other students who have have a a person that's right there with them to kind of help with prompting. But I'm excited to hear more about these groups because I think group is really great. And I love how you're talking about collaboration with speech therapists because, you know, and it is good for everybody to hear that, you know, sometimes SLPs and BCBAs, they have some barriers to collaboration. I think that's why I started ABA Speech to build a bridge between the professionals. So I like that we're kind of living that out here today. So that's really cool. So tell us more about what do these groups, what do they look like? Sure. So most groups have, you know, anywhere between two and five students, you know, one to two instructors. Typically, like I said, it's a three to one ratio. Um, We usually have fun weekly themes and we try and make it fun, interactive, engaging, you know, SLPs, that's where they come in. They're super creative. And again, I'm stereotyping here, but I have this image of, you know, SLPs working with lots and lots of different board games and, you know, creativity and, hey, I've got this fun game and let's do this and let's do that. And then BCBAs are like, here's my clipboard. I want to put my points in. Can we do this? Yeah, you know, I'm telling you, BCBAs can be a lot of fun. Well, I hope I'm a lot of fun. (laughs) BCBAs can be fun too, but we do get a lot of creative energy from the SLPs. So, you know, creating weekly themes, you know, we do a lot of activities based on those weekly themes. And we do, you know, depending on the age of the group, we'll do some arts and crafts or some STEM activities. I don't know if you guys know what STEM is, but science, technology, engineering, and math, just a lot of just group, group stuff that they have to actually do group work with. And then, you know, we can converse while we're doing that, instead of hey, saying, hey, let's sit down and have a formal conversation, we'll do some of that if we're in person. You know, if we're in person, you know, we can take some of those materials and manipulate them. So instead of having, you know, everybody gets, you know, some glue and scissors, we have, you know, one glue stick 
can one pair of scissors. So people have to ask for them and share those things around. Right. Again, that's in pre-COVID life though. Post-COVID life, it's a little bit different. Sharing materials doesn't seem to, to work very well. Right. Yeah, that was hard for me. I'll tell you what, in March, when it all went down, I was just consumed with learning about the platform of teletherapy. And, and then this year, I've been back in school seeing students and it's been really hard for me to, to have to change the way I'm doing things. I'm realizing as I'm getting older that, you know, change is very hard. So my students have been great about adapting to that. But I, I love that idea of, you know, working together and embedding communication within the activity. I think that's something too that's really hard, at least when I was a beginning speech therapist, making sure that in the social skills type group or any type of time we're getting students together is making sure that we're being really cognizant that we're working on peer-to-peer interaction. Because I think what can be really an easy trap to fall into is that, you know, there's one person that's leading the group who's a professional, and then they are just kind of like the teacher in essence, but making sure, which is fine, but making sure that you're working on that peer-to-peer interaction too, which can be so much harder. But it's why, you know, you have the group and things like (laughs) that. And that's huge. I'm I'm nodding. Nobody can see me nodding on a podcast. Agreeing completely with you, Rose. It's that interaction, right? It's not about just, you know, hey, I'm making a friend or hey, this is teacher-led and I just have to go along with this. It's no, like I need to initiate sometimes. I need to participate sometimes. I need to really listen to what my peer is saying and respond back in a reciprocal way. Yes. Love that. So that brings up kind of like we were talking about everybody's going to be kind of working on something in the group. That's obviously why you have the group. So let's talk a little bit about assessment. I'm very interested to hear about what you use for assessment. Are there any good assessments that you like to use when determining social skills groups and what students are going to work on or why they'd be placed in a specific group? So I used to start looking at, you know, just using the ABLES, the VB map. Those are two assessments that, you know, ABA professionals use. And they're great. You know, you can work on, you know, the social section or the social and group section with the VB map, but it's not enough, especially Rose, you were talking about high school students. Like those two assessments are not enough. You know, there's other ones out there like the autism social skills profile by Scott Bellini. Kathleen Quill et al. has an assessment of social skills for children with autism. They're okay. Nothing's perfect. There's an old, old old book called Making a Difference by Catherine Maurice. It was published in 2001. I still love it. They have social skills assessments in there and a whole bunch of social skills programs written by Suzanne Jasper and Bridget Taylor, who I actually worked with them and they were amazing. Oh, did you um, work with Bridget Taylor? She's amazing. I worked with her. She's yeah, I worked a with dynamo. Her yeah, I've heard her then. talk. But you know, Catherine Maurice, it's interesting you bring up her name. That's how right before I got my first job and even learned what ABA was, the person who I interviewed with said, you should read this book called Let Me Hear Your Voice. I might be botching the title, but it was written. Let me hear your voice. Yeah. Okay. Let me hear your voice by Catherine Maurice. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is everything. And I read it, you know, before my interview because I was in my 20s and, you know, I did stuff back then like that and had time. But it was really, it definitely had an impact on me. So it's cool for you to, I don't know if I know that book, but I probably do because there's definitely some materials that I know and love. You know, the other assessment that you didn't mention is the AFOLS. I don't know if you've worked with that one. because I do tend to work with students who are a little bit older. The AFOLS is a nice assessment too. And Dr. Partington did that with somebody else. It's really nice because it looks at a lot of different like vocational tasks, but it also has like a leisure skills section, which is a big part of what I talk about with leisure skills. And that's also something to look for. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really um, great. So I've combined a lot of these assessments together um, just because I have to. And what we'll sometimes do is, you know, we'll take the students' profiles and we'll put them together and say, oh, you know, 
this is what they need to be taught or based on their profiles, here's what they're lacking. And then what I'll do is work backwards, say, here's the goals of the group. What can they do and baseline those goals? And that might even be my assessment. But a lot of the times what I've done is I've actually created my own assessment and we have it on how to ABA and I will post it free in this podcast. Um, But I've combined the social skills assessment of the BB map the Ables, and then the Bridget Taylor, Suzanne Jasper assessment, and put all of those in. And we find that works really, really well going through. And it's really targets conversation stuff. It targets social interaction and a lot of things that you just wouldn't think of. So I'll post it in the link to this podcast. That'll be great because I think that's really hard for a lot of people when they know that they have a student who is struggling. But sometimes, I mean, those types of skills are kind of abstract. So to make that into something that's more something that you can assess and something that you can look for. And now in the world of COVID, which hopefully is going to be over soon, you know, we definitely have students, especially if they've been virtual. That's kind of where I live in Ohio. We're kind of getting into this idea where a lot of students have been virtual and some are kind of transitioning back to hybrid or they're going back to in-person. And then there's so many different social situations that are kind of come up that maybe you didn't have on virtual and vice versa. So I think this is really something that we're going to be talking about a lot on the podcast because, I mean, I think even adults who are professionals are going to have some maybe not social skills issues, but maybe some issues with anxiety as far as going back to work every single day. This looks different. You know, there's a lot of different expectations for the students and actually also for the professionals to think about too. Well, thank you so much for sharing that assessment. I think people are really going to love that and I can't wait to see it because I haven't seen that yet. So let's talk about, so we've done our assessment, right? And so let's, how do we determine goals? Talk to me a little bit about goal setting. I know that I always really love to talk about goals. And one of my most popular items I have on my website is called Autism. IEP Goal Bank, if you guys haven't received that already, do so. Because I think that it's hard to conceptually come up with a way to work on these social skills and have a way... I know when I'm writing IEPs and goals, I'm always thinking to myself ahead, like, how am I going to take data on this goal? It could sound great in theory when you're in the IEP meeting, but to think about what does that data collection actually look like? I know you're type A like I am, so you're thinking the same way. Um, So talk to us a little bit about goal setting. So, you know, the biggest thing with goal setting would be what my high school English teacher would say is that simple kiss rule, right? Keep it simple, stupid. But, you know, pick three to five goals, you know, depending on how long your group is, right? But five goals max. You know, if you try to do too much, you're going to bite off more than you can chew and you're just not going to see the progress. You're going to get overwhelmed and your students are going to get overwhelmed as well. So five goals max, period. But in terms of how I pick those goals, you know, that's where observation collaboration comes in, right? You've got to collaborate with everybody on, you know, in the playing field here. So whether that be the SLP, the teacher, the family members, siblings, you know, and that's where you can coordinate with those people for what their goals are. Um, You know, the individual, if they can talk and, you know, you work with high school students, they're probably telling you, Rose, I want to work on this. So absolutely. And then that collaboration with SLPs is huge. And that's where I use them the most. They usually, you know, help me out with just how do I enrich vocabulary within Mm -hmm. specific activities? You know, how do I expand descriptive language skills? You know, how do I add to storytelling or recalling events, asking answering questions, etc. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, I love talking about that type of student too, who's more conversational, because I definitely have some students where we've set up their own self-monitoring systems where they are self-motivated to work on certain types of social skills. And then we set goals for them during the week. And maybe I see them just briefly. And 
I call them, you know, sometimes I'll tell them, I just think of me as your social skills coach, right? Where I've taught them so many different things and we've worked on it in therapy. And then I may see the student just for a very small amount of time in the therapy room. And then really I'm spending more time in the larger school environment to do checks for generalization and then to do feedback and coaching next time I see the student. And I actually have had students, this is probably the BCBA in me, but I've actually had students, you know, do a self-monitoring check where I actually have a graph and things like that where I talk about, you know, are you exhibiting this skill? Are you generalizing that? And, you know, that segues really nicely into data collection. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you work on data collection? Because it can be hard to facilitate a group. And over my 20 years as a speech therapist, I often share in my blog and freebies, you know, this is a way that I'm taking data, like that idea of cold probe data or first trial data, you know, a little plus or minus. It just has to be meaningful data for the provider so we can analyze that data and then make treatment decisions. So talk to me a little bit about your data collection methods. Absolutely. And data can be really scary, right? I mean, the platinum of data collection is point-to-point correspondence data, which means you're taking data on every single trial and every single conversational exchange that the student's doing. But can you imagine if you were in a group and someone was standing over you with a clipboard going, yep, <laughs> nope, you're not, nope, nope, yeah, mm-hmm. It just doesn't work, right? So, you know, with social skills, you have to be a little bit looser on data. And yes, I'm a BCBA and I just said that. You know, I know a lot of SLPs who will just take handwritten notes to me. That, I can't read that fast enough, you know, in terms of reading it. Well, obviously I can read it, but I can't see it graphically. And when I read a graph, it's just fast. So things like a yes, no, or a check, check X type thing on a clipboard. Usually when our groups will do a rating scale. So we'll have a rating scale of say zero to five and we'll say, okay, zero is absolutely nothing. You know, three might be with this kind of prompt, but five is your ultimate mastered. And then at the end of every activity, we'll jot down you know, a zero to five on our goal sheet. So it's pretty natural. So as we're transitioning to the next activity, we're able to just jot that down for every student. Yeah, that's a great idea. I love that. So talk to me because I really, I want to hear how your groups actually look. I definitely have like a very, I've, and I've talked about this before, not on the podcast just yet, but you'll get an episode on this because I love group therapy. When I do group therapy, I usually have a framework. So for me, we usually work on, and obviously it's dependent upon individual student goals, but I try to modify it. And this is the framework I use. So we work on some type of conversation skills. Lately, I've been using boom cards and I've created through ABA speech some really cool visual conversation starters. So we do a conversation skills and then I do a literacy-based activity. So it might be an adapted book. Sometimes I use news to you if the students are doing that to kind of help support that. Then we do an extension activity, like you were saying, um, you know, with vocabulary and things of that nature. And then we always end with some type of leisure skill because I'm really big on, you know, leisure skill building because I feel that's a, a very important lifelong skill and very good for cooperation and working together with others. So that's kind kind of how the framework that I work within. But tell me a little bit about your group setup. Yeah, kind of very similar. You know, we have a meeting at the beginning, you know, greetings, you know, we might say, tell the group one thing you learned at school today or one thing you did this week, etc. You know, then we review a visual schedule of what we're doing for the day because everybody needs to know what they're doing. You know, then usually, you know, activity two might be something like watching a video model. So we'll use either Model Me Kids or we'll use everydayspeech.com. We might even make our own videos. We might have a template that says, okay, so here's the social skill we're going to interact with and go. We're 
going to videotape you guys, permission from the parents, but we're going to videotape you guys go and then we'll review their videotape of themselves and say, hey, look, here was a really great thing. And we always start with here's the really great thing. And then we tell them, you know, one thing that they can work on and then they practice it and we videotape that again. So lots and lots of role play through that. You know, then we go into like actual specific conversation programming. So we'll have a template of, you know, a conversation skill that they're working on. So for instance, do you like what's your favorite, right? So, hey, Rose, do you like winter? What's your favorite winter activity? Blah, blah, blah. And just having, you know, being able to start a conversation that way. And then a uh, same thing, we'll do a gross motor activity or a board game, um, a STEM activity, depending on whether we have time. And then, you know, we wrap it up at the end and have a, another quick meeting with a dismissal and, and uh, just talk about what our favorite activity was that day. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And I definitely think that social reciprocity piece is really important. And I think that's the part that I enjoy modifying for students at different levels, you know, as far as if a student is verbalizing more, if a student is verbalizing less, something that I used to really love working on for students who were just emerging conversation uh, at conversational level would be would you rather questions because and I did a whole line of these and, and they're free. They're on the blog in my TPT story ABA speech. But I liked those because they had that inherent visual prompt in there, you know, would you rather eat an apple or banana bread, you know, things like that. And so for the student who would really struggle to answer that question on its own, just ask verbally with no visual prompt available, it was nice to be able to have that picture, right? And then we could modify it for the next student if that student was at a different language level. And that's really when you're working in the school setting, you're trying to group students by what's going to be a really functional group for the students. But it's a little different in that educational model versus clinical model. You know, you probably have a little more leeway as how you're you're pairing the students. But that's good to know that we're kind of doing things on a similar note. So talk to me a little bit about resources. Like what I know you said everyday speech, and that's a really cool subscri- subscription-based resource, right? That's um, videos. Is that mostly, mostly what's on everyday speech? It is. I mean, you can you, you can YouTube some of those videos, but what yeah. Everyday Speech has, has the videos combined with the actual program. So here's how you teach it. And here's worksheets that go along with it. So it's a full package. Okay. Um, I love it. I use it a lot. And there's a lot of different ideas on there. And like I said, I'll take those ideas then and build my own with my own learners to make it individualized. Other things that I use, um, I use Would You Rather cards all the time too, Rose. And I mm. love those because like you said, it takes the pressure off the kids to come up with something themselves. And And depending on verbal ability, they can also ask why questions. So it could just be the answer or it could be, well, why is that your answer? Um, Mm -hmm. Which is super cool. Lots of board games I'll use like apples to apples. Headbands is a great one. Guess who is another great one. Kids on stage or any type of charades card game, like a mimic is Mm -hmm. also really great. I also still really love, again, another old book, but I'm old school. It's called Mm -hmm. Teach Me Language by Sabrina Freeman et al. It's, I think, again, 2000, 2001. It's a white book with black letters on it. It's called Teach Me Language. Really great, though. They've got a lot of really great social skills scripts in there and just ways of using visuals and text cues to teach social skills. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I feel like I've... Yes, I think I've seen that book before. Yeah, that is a good book. Some of these are really, they're probably just laying around maybe if you work in a clinic or a school right? Um, because they were really popular at one time. And and even the like the Bellini autism scale that you were talking about, I'm pretty sure you can even get that online, which is a nice informal kind of screener. Yeah. And he has a whole book that goes with that, that I think that I read, but those are really good resources that have definitely um, stood the test of time. So I think that's kind of the hard thing is like, well, what resources do we use and how do we come up with this? And once you know your students and you may 
have students who are really specific where, you know, with the conversation questions, you may work on things that are preferred for them, but then you may, you know, fade in things that are less preferred, right? Because maybe that's their goal. Some of our students tend to want to talk about their one preferred topic, which is fine, but being able to kind of switch and talk about something somebody else wants to talk about. And I think that idea of topic initiation is really abstract. And so it's good to have some of those ideas on how to talk about and how to actually work on them. I think sometimes when we're talking about social skills, we discuss it and it seems so abstract. But I think talking about, well, what does your actual group look like and what resources do you use? I think that's going to be really helpful information. It's so great. And the only, the last thing I wanted to touch on is, so because you are clinic-based, you guys write a note at the end of a session or talk to the, you know, because you're virtual now, so that's a little different. Or how does that look for that idea of, I love that idea of planning for generalization. And so how do you guys plan for the generalization of those skills? Oh, planning for generalization can seriously be the toughest part. Um, you know, with virtual, like you mentioned, it's a bit easier because we can invite parents into the session and they can hear what's going on, right? But when we have in-person groups, we definitely send home homework with the kids. We send home, we've got communication books, but we'll say, okay, your homework for this week is um, come up with another would you rather question for next week's group or come up with a strategy for doing this or one more initiation statement that you might blah, blah, blah. Or we might write in the communication book, you know, we practiced initiation statements this week. Your quote unquote homework for this week is to use those initiation statements three times throughout the week and, you know, report when you've done that. Most of the kids we work with are quite honest. So they'll, you know, they'll write back, yes, I did this or I, no, I didn't, you know, and then really it's about sharing those goals and progress updates with parents, teachers, SLPs. It's that whole collaboration approach again. Yeah, that's great. Oh my gosh, such great information. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I hope that it was helpful information about, you know, how do we get started with social skills? Maybe what are some resources that maybe we haven't heard about? I love being an SLP and a BCBA because I feel like I'm able to use resources from both fields. You know, speech therapists definitely have their go-to things for social skills and BCBAs likewise. So it's nice to be able to share those things and maybe people are learning about something new. Where can people find you on on your side of the internet? Tell us your website, your Instagram, you you guys have a great Instagram. I always talk about Instagram here. I spend a lot of time over there, but tell us where people can find you if they want to learn more. For sure. The easiest way to go is uh, howtoaba.com, howtoaba.com. And you'll be able to see all of our free resources as well as our subscription-based site there. And then check out the abaforum.com as well, because our upcoming event is very, very soon. Check out register for that. And uh, like Rose said, you know, we're going to be doing talk there as well. So um, tune in for that. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So March 2nd, 3rd and 4th from 7 to 9, completely free to attend. If you want to get CEUs, they are available for purchase, but it's going to be fun. There's going to be digital swag, networking, and it's going to be fun and a way to collaborate and disseminate information. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, Make sure to check the show notes for resources we discussed today. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to hit subscribe and write a review. Remember to keep things fun and functional and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.